Thank you for leading us this morning in worship. And uh, he does reign. And you sang it like you believed it. So I'm, I'm excited to be with you and share in that joy as well. Charlotte and I are both glad to be back and to be a part of your fellowship again this, this morning. Uh, this has been a, a hard time for many of you, maybe all of you, if you certainly know uh, the family here at the church. And uh, Chris was uh, the, a short part of my life, the last just last two years, but very meaningful relationship nonetheless. And I remember when I first heard of his illness, came to visit him, and he just pressed on. And I was so, and will always be, uh, thankful for that witness and testimony of his life. Um, and the hard thing was that last weekend we couldn't be here because Charlotte and I were at, can you believe this, I have a cousin that just got married for the first time, but uh, uh, she's the baby of the litter, as we would say. And uh, so we were in Florida last weekend for the wedding. But we shared in our hearts and prayed for you often during these uh, many months, but specifically this past week, and especially for you, Robin, and the family. And it's, uh, in a way, I was glad that we couldn't be here last week because I would not want to have preached last Sunday. I think that would have been a, a very hard thing, but my friend Bruce was here, I believe, and I'm sure uh, did well with the Word of God and with you also. And is, if, if you don't know this about me, I'm, I'm not one that's trying to be innovative very much. I've been a part of churches that have done innovation, but uh, I just kind of take my way through a passage of Scripture. So I've preached a couple of times into First John, and I thought, well, let's see what's next. And that's what we're going to do uh, this morning. We're going to see what's next. Though I think there's some application for us, particularly for the season this church finds itself in, your church finds itself in, Today, So would you turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, way back at the end of the, of the New Testament, um, 1 John chapter 2, uh, beginning with verse 18, down through verse 27. 1 John 2, 18 through 27. And I will read uh, from the English Standard Version for us today. Children. Some translations say, beloved children, dear children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that all are not of us. Wow. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the, the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. 
And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it taught you, and there it is, abide in him. Well, my uh, question for us as we begin is, what do we do when the kids start leaving home? Um, I'm not talking about when they go off to kindergarten and first grade. Uh, that's a big trauma for some families. Or when they finish eighth grade or high school. I'm not even talking about when they finish college and they really do leave home. They really do, by the way, leave home at some point. Sometimes it's a little later. I'm speaking about this in the spiritual sense of, of what happens to many people, many people, way too many people, who are a part of a church but leave but leave. Now, I'm not talking about those, you know, there was a day when there was the church. So you, if you left the church, you weren't a part of the church. But today you can leave a church and you can move 10 minutes away or 20 minutes away or cross town or whatever it is. And you can find another element of the church. And we're talking about those who actually leave the church this morning. And, and they leave for all kinds of reasons. Uh, some it's simply like this. Oh, that's my folks church. Nice people, but I'm not into church at this point in my life. What do we say? How do we respond at times like that? Some do leave. Some do come back, by the way. And long before I knew I was going to be speaking here, partly because of the age I am and because I have time on my hands, I read articles about what's going on with the millennial generation, what's happening with Generation Z. And yesterday, for the first time, yes, I read about some of you who are nine years old and younger, Alpha A, Generation A. I don't make sense, right? Uh, I'm not sure exactly why you're being called that, but that's what I'm, I'm, I'm told. The sad part is there are some people, a lot of them, particularly of the millennial generation, those who would be in their 30s, and some in, and I'm just speaking broadly of their age, uh, some in Generation Z who are in their, basically in their 20s right now, who have, have departed. They check on the box when it says church affiliation, they say none. That number has gone from 8% who would say that back in 1990 when this church was young and, and uh, just kind of really feeling its oats, uh, to today when it's over 30%, and it, uh, uh, particularly of those who are in the millennial generation. So as Faith Bible prepares to move through a transition, uh, there are all kinds of questions that your leaders will have to work through, and, and one of them is going to be, and I can promise you this from my own experience, there'll be some people who will come and there'll be some people who will leave. How will we live in the process of all of that? That's what I want to speak to you today about how we live. Um, I've got a list, I think, up on the screen of a couple of reasons why people leave. 27%, this was the number one reason just a few years ago, simply because I wanted a break from church. Have you ever heard that? The ninth reason I chose to spend, this is not on the list on the screen, but I chose to spend more time with friends outside the church. Almost sounds good, doesn't it? But something wrong with that. 
Uh, one of them on the list is this. I'm tired of feeling guilty about how I live my life. That I, I, says something about preaching. It also says something about one's relationship with God. One of them that I think about a lot is this. I just can't handle the hypocrisy. And there's been a lot of hypocrisy in the church over the years and in my life and in my church and in my life probably as well. Uh, people, young people look and they, they just don't get it. They wonder why if the church is a people of love, why there's infighting, uh, things get said, people are hurt, all kinds of... We as believers need to to recognize that we're really, as Calvin Miller used to refer to him, and I oftentimes do, we're just muddites. We're mucking around in the mire of our own experience and our journey, and it's not always easy. If we could just be honest about some of that, perhaps our younger generations would be able to see, oh, the church is not meant to be perfect here on this earth, but we are achieving what God has given to us and seeking to be more like him. The bottom line, really, is that some people leave because they they don't appreciate the exposure of the church, what it looks like, but some, they're just plain in opposition to the truth, and that's what this passage of Scripture says. Now, even though this passage is about those people, and we're going to talk about it because we want to be faithful to the Word today, uh, we're going to talk about those who are impo- opposing the truth. I think the response when people struggle and maybe leave our church, churches, we need we need to respond the same way as we find in this passage of Scripture. So look at this complex statement with me, and in the process, let's see what our response should be or can be as we apply this word to our lives across the board. And it's very simple. The outline is very simple uh, for you today. There are three practices in our response that this passage will tell us. The first one is this. It's found in verses 18 and 19 and then in verse 26. And that is, as children of God, we need to be discerning. Can you remember that? Keep discerning. Now, that's a big word to some of you and simple for most of you, I'm sure. But what I mean is stay sharp. Be astute. Think. Think. Now, some of you are born feelers. You think, though, so think. Some of you are thinkers. You feel. Some of you need to work on the feeling part a little bit more, I'm sure. But just just remember this. In the church of Christ, the reason why Christianity is different than so many other religions is because God calls us to think. And if I can hear a faint echo, I think it's Chris saying amen to that right now because at least that's how I perceive him. Sometimes when somebody leaves the church, I mean, I have, been tempted to say that they're just the riffraff you know they're just oh they just don't you know there's something wrong with them but, but that's not the issue the issue is who are we how will we respond and the word of god calls us to, not, not to discern be discerning now, now keep in mind that maybe even foundational to that is that we keep loving we keep loving and we discern so that's why i mean john just does this again and again here at verse 18 it's the fourth time of nine times in the first Uh, writing of John where he refers to them as children, dear children, beloved children, spiritual protégés. They are loved by John. They are liked by John. They have issues, or this would be no reason for this writing. They have issues, but he loves them and he writes to them in such a way. And that ought to be our response to all around us, that we would love them, but in that, We need to be discerning. So look at verse 26. John is saying, Don't be like the Pied Piper who entertains children to death. 
That's not what we're called to do. That, that, that's, that's too easy. There, the, the Pied Piper is far too deceptive. We are to be people who discern what is going on in and around us and then we respond accordingly. So with that in mind, there are a couple of words that are highlighted really in this, this passage that help us to think about what John thought the church should be discerning about. Do you know what they are? Can you pick them out? The first one is about timing. The second one, well, of course you can. It's on the screen already. So it's about timing and it's about opposition. Those two things in particular. Uh, John, John very clearly in this passage wants us to see there is something important about recognizing what time it is. And I, I'm not, I don't even have a watch on, so, but I think I can see it up there. Okay, yeah, I know what time it is. That, that's, he's not talking about the hour on the clock, is he? He calls this time, verse 18, this last hour. Which You, you know, some people say, well, I take my Bible very literally. Well, you can't take this literally. Because he can't be talking about the last hour, because if it was the last hour, the hour would be over before the ink ever dried, right? So, uh, on this letter. So, so he is speaking about something bigger than that, and of course, then we start to look at the other places in Scripture to see what is this last hour about? What is this, another parallel phrase, what is this last day all about? And you know, some of you better than others perhaps, he's speaking about a season in history, an epoch a time, a period that we are in. Matthew 24, verse 36 says, suddenly, dramatically, this hour will end and no one will know when it comes. It's just going to, it's going to happen. Or Acts chapter 2. You know uh, Acts chapter 2. There's a prophecy in it from Joel. And uh, it's an amazing statement. Joel writes, and Peter repeats it, that in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So we're starting to sense that this is just a picture of what's going on in this last hour, these last days. And we know that when that was stated, that within 40 days, so if that was stated July 1st, it would just be about right now. It'd just be about now from July 1st to now, 40 days later, it all begins. And here's the message of, 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 of uh, Peter in Acts chapter 2. And here's the message of 1 John. Here's the message of the Apostle Paul when he deals with these kinds of, th- this kind of statement. Be alert. Be discerning. Think. Don't get sloppy. It's the last hour. Don't quit work. Paul in another place. It's the last hour. Don't forsake your calling. It's the last hour. Some people read this and they think, well, that's kind of ridiculous to say. No, it's not. If we are to be a church in the 21st century, we must be a people who are discerning of this hour. And there are a lot of things to know about it. I mean, you could do, someone could do, not me, but you could find somebody to do a whole series on what's this hour like? And what's it like to live? And certainly the, the church here needs to think about that in terms of its future. What, what, what's this day like living in Oak Ridge here in the year 2019? Discerning, discerning. We don't know a lot of things about this hour. 
We know about things that are going to happen during this hour, and some of it is horrific with earthquakes and, and, and flooding and all kind, famine, all kinds of things. But one of the things we know, one of the things we know is that this is a particular hour in history, and God calls us to finish strong by being a people of discerning of the times. It's a long race. Brothers and sisters, you are just in the midst of it. Some of you young people, you're just beginning it. It's a long race. Our son Tim, uh, last year, he's pretty good at finding deals. So he, Allegiant must have just been starting here or something. He got a round-trip ticket to Denver for $70. And he went out there to do his annual retreat for, as part of the staff of his church. Somebody gave him a place, a cabin to stay. Not bad deal, right? It was cheaper than staying here in, in the Smokies. And he went out there in, in the wintertime. And uh, he has, I don't remember now why or where, but he did live in Minnesota uh, for a long time. He has a pair of snowshoes. So the, the one thing he put in his backpack were these snowshoes. And he went out there. And he went on this hike. And it was a loop. And a part way through it, he realized he know, he's nowhere near the end. So he, he's trudging along, and finally he got to the place, the high altitude, he'd only been there for a day. He can hardly breathe. And he's wondering, how will I finish this? And the only way he finished was, be de- was he was determined to put one foot in front of the other and keep going and pressing on and trying to be careful about what he did next in the, the walk. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be discerning. We need to be thinking about our time. But not only our time. Not only our time. Secondly, we need to be discerning the opposition. We need to know who we're up against. And brothers and sisters, we are. And the Bible describes this as a spiritual battle. You know that. And I know that as well. But Paul goes on in his writings in 2 Thessalonians. And he refers to the Antichrist as, as the man of lawlessness. Lawlessness. And then we find in other places in the scripture that he's referred to as the Antichrist. But here, look at verse 18. In verse 18, it's not that there is one Antichrist, because I don't know who that is. Some of you know, but I don't know who that is. All I know is that there are Antichrists that were present in the 30-year-old church when the church was just beginning. They were there already. Many, he said, have come. Many, how many? Many, that's all I know. I wonder how many there might be in a 2,000-year-old church. Many, at least many. And he would be re- they would be referred to in Jesus' writings in Mark chapter 13 as false Christs, plural, or false prophets, plural. And verse 19, John goes on to say, in effect, that there were those who went out of the church and now they aren't in the church because they left and they left because they weren't of us. You can see that. And in verse in the ESV translation, what I want you to see five times in this verse, the use of the word us, 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 us. It's not about your church or some other church. It's about the church, our place, our church. I like to think of it as the us-ness of the body of Christ. People say, well, I go to this church and I go to that church. And I'm going, no, you don't. If you just go to a church, that's not what the Word of God calls us to do. We're to be the church. We're to be a part of the church. I'm a part of an assembly of believers. That's what we're to be. And there are some who will come to a church, but John says, within them is the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, are you following the news at all, the Christian news? There's a 
a preacher my son and other young people know his name much better than I, though I should have known it better, Joshua Harris. He's made the news in the 20s, in his early 20s, which is way too early for anybody to write a book, except he wrote one, became very popular with young people called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And he called the church, a lot of the just say no to to immorality stuff came out of Josh Harris's writings and in the news. uh, And then he was mentored by some of the great preachers of his era. He just came up and said, I I don't believe it anymore. And he's not talking about the dating stuff. He's talking about Jesus. Pastored a large church. Says, "I, I don't believe it anymore. I'm no longer a Christian, he said, this past week or the week before. Just, I can't figure that out, except when I read this passage of Scripture. Or Charles Templeton, those of us who are older. Some of you may know that name. He was going to be the great next evangelist, not Billy Graham. And one day, people had influenced his life and his thinking, and he said, I I don't believe it anymore. Billy Graham went to see him. Templeton had a great sense of pity for for, uh, Billy Graham, that he was still going to preach this gospel. And, And Templeton, as I've read... To his di- and in his dying days, just the saddest of all people because he had no foundation, no firmness in his life. They're not of us, John would write. To be not of us, listen, doesn't just mean that they don't care, it's not important to them. No, when people have been exposed to the gospel, when people have heard the truth, when people have said yes to it in some way, and then they say, mm, no, I don't believe that. They are in opposition to Christ. That's what this passage says. It's not what I say. That's what the Bible says. Were these people credible? Yeah, I think so in a way. Did people like them, these antichrists? Yeah, I would think they liked them. Why would John be writing about them if they did? Did they have influence? I think they probably had a lot of influence. That's why John writes about it as well. Did they like... Did they? like try to take other people with them when they left? Maybe. That might be part of John's concern. Maybe they went down the road and started something. Some of them were legalists from what we can tell in the Scripture. They just wanted to go back to the law. That makes sense as you read your New Testament. Some of them were denying the humanity of Christ. Some were denying the deity of Christ. This passage... This passage says be discerning about the times and about the opposition because of what we're going to see in just a moment that we need we need to be people of Christ. Whatever you want to call them, here's what they were. They were revisionists. Revisionists. Remember that word. They are people who rewrote the story. There are people and some of them even other not, it's not a part of our Bible but other people wrote things about Jesus that just didn't coincide with the word of God they they were in opposition because they rewrote the story of Christ and Galatians 2 4 tells us that these are false brethren false brethren that sounds like an oxymoron right how can you be brethren and be false they were false brethren who had come to spy on the believers freedom so look at verse 22 of our passage of scripture again it makes makes this very clear that any one of these quote antichrist denied that Jesus was the Christ that they were the liar they were the liar not those who held the truth they denied who Jesus was and when they denied who Jesus was they were actually denying who the father was even though they wanted to still be attached to the father they could not be attached to the father that's what you need to remember even in terms about other religions like Islam. People say, well, we all pray to the same God. No, we don't. We can't possibly know the same God. Can't possibly. Why? Because of what John writes right here. 
that we must be people who embrace who Jesus Christ is, fully God, fully man. That's what we need to be discerning about. And we, listen, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ here, we need to just be careful about this. We need to be careful about this. Not long ago, I was helping a friend move. I don't do that, by the way, as much as I used to. So it was actually about five or six years ago now. Um, in case anybody has any ideas. Uh, but, but, you know, they just were moving in town, so they rented a U-Haul, and then you got the little ramp. You know how narrow those ramps are? Man, they're narrow, especially when you're backing up, holding a heavy piece of furniture, and that's what I was doing. And people were watching. They wanted to make sure I wouldn't fall, partly because of my age, probably. But nonetheless, uh, I wanted to be careful, too. That's all I want you to remember. I wanted to be discerning about where I was stepping, what I was doing next. And some of that is what we need to remember as we think about this passage of Scripture. Just for a reference point again, turn just a page over to 1 John chapter 4, since you're right there. 1 John 4 verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So discern, discern, discern. Some of you say, well, I just believe it. I, I just believe it. I said that once. When I went to seminary, when I went to seminary, after going to a Christian college, they said, you have to take a course in apologetics. I said, what's that? I didn't even know what it was. How discerning is that? Not very. I remember back a class in college, philosophy of Christianity, talked by Dr. Or by Grady Spires. And there was a young man in our class. His name was Dick Hodges. And I remember sitting there. Dick was a year older than me, about a half a, half a year ahead of me and in, in school. And we were in the same class. And he kept raising his hand, kept asking questions, wondering about this, wondering about that. I saw him recently. He's still a man of, a faith, of the faith. No question about that. But at the time, I thought, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with him? What, doesn't he just believe? I just believed because I was raised in the church. I just believed. No, we must be discerning. We must understand the depths of the gospel. So that's number one. The, the other two will come quickly now. There, there is this need to keep discerning, but there is also this, there is a need to keep confessing. Keep confessing what? Keep confessing our faith. Look at verse 20, 21, 23, 27. Let me read a couple of them for you. Again, verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. That's verse 21. Or 20. Verse 21. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Now go down to verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but here it is. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And then verse 27. Um, if I can find where it actually begins. Hang on, there it is. But the anointing that has that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as the anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no not a lie, just as 
as he has taught you, abide in him. So what you want to see here in this passage is while we are discerning, and I just kind of, I'm just kind of pulling us through the passage three times here, all the way from top to bottom. The second thing that we need to see is that we are to be a people of confession, confessing or affirming or openly speaking about who Jesus Christ is. It's not just a matter of knowing. See, a lot of people know things, but they don't stand up for them. They don't speak out about them. And when we think about those who are considering perhaps leaving a fellowship or leaving the, the faith completely, what they need to hear, what they need to hear is a proper confession of the Word of God. And there are a couple of things that I want you to see as you think about it. There are foundational issues to it. This, And one is, as you see on the screen, that we need this uh, to recognize this anointing. We don't need it. We need to recognize this anointing. Or another way of reading that is this heart and mind knowledge that is a gift from God. That's what we read in verse 20. You have an anointing from the Holy One. Do you read that? Who has it? You have it. I have it. Verse 27, this anointing that you have received, it says, this re- that you've received from him remains. So did you go out and get it? Did you go out and figure out how you, know, you might obtain it? Did you pray and say, God, I, I want this anointing? I hear that all the time in religious circles. Not according to this passage of Scripture. Now I'll tell you, John uses this word differently than other people. The Old Testament, in fact, he uses, he's the only one that uses it this way. In the Old Testament and in James 5, when it speaks about anointing, it does speak about taking some oil. It does talk about actually placing hands on an anointing. That's, that's part of the Word of God. Paul uses it in a slightly different way, but it's something that you obtain. But here, here's what we need to see. John is saying, you have, all of you in the church have received this. So brother and sister, do you have the anointing? It's almost blasphemous when I hear it, uh, when I hear people talk about some flash guy on a platform or a woman who gets up and does things and somebody says, oh my goodness, they have the anointing. So do you, so do you, young people, if you know Jesus, so do you. You ought to say, I have the anointing. Don't be afraid to say that. Jeremiah, can you find Jeremiah? That is, I can because I got a ribbon in it, so I don't know about you. I was, a pre- I was prepared. I don't know why you weren't. You should have. Uh, Jeremiah 31 uh, is, a, uh, is a whole picture of, uh, of this anointing that God will give. But you'll recognize this even if you don't see it. Verse 33 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Who will do that? God will do that. Are you going to do it? I'm going to write it on my heart. No, God is going to do that, he says. This is an anointing that comes because God puts it on our hearts. And then that word of God comes with that. And here's one of the most marvelous things that I I read, I, I, I experience as I read the word of God. I meet people all the time who have this blank stare on their face. They don't get it. They don't, they, don't, they don't know why you believe the Bible. They don't understand why anybody would believe the Bible. It just, and I'm going to tell you this. I, I still can remember Otis Page back in California, a true New, New Englander that said this in, the, uh, in a restaurant 
He was so outspoken. Oh my goodness, I could never be like Otis. But Otis said to some guy who said, I don't believe that stuff. He said, don't worry. He said, you don't have the anointing. He was spot on. He knew exactly what he was saying. The guy looked at him like with strange, like what? What did you just say? And they were friends. I didn't know that at the time, so I was having a little pastoral heart attack at the moment. But you don't have the anointing. But what, it's an amazing thing when you come to know Christ. All of a sudden, the Word of God starts to make sense. Make sense. That's God's anointing. And that's why it's amazing. Look at verse 34 of Jeremiah 31. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. Wow. And where does that connect? Well, that's easy. It connects right there with verse uh, 27 of 1 John 2, which says, You'll need, you won't need anyone to teach you anymore. And I know there are kids here, if they're paying any attention at all, they're going, oh, I love that verse because now I don't have to go to school. Uh, I certainly don't have to go to Sunday school anymore. No, that's not what, if you just read the rest of the scriptures, you know, that, that speak about the importance of the teaching of God and the word of God being brought to us by those who have been entrusted with a gift of teaching. All of that's true. All of that ties back to verse 20 this anointing that we have so where does that leave us well it leaves me here if you're uh, 65 and i'm a little more than that you better be teaching the 35 year olds to confess that jesus is who he is you do that by the way you live and by the way you speak you don't do it. You don't play the I'm an old person because I know how to do this. An old person card and you just have to believe me. No, it's the way you live and it's the way. You, and if you're 35, you need to be seeing that to the 20-year-olds. And if you're 20, you need to be doing that with the teenagers in your, your world around you. They need to hear us confess that Christ is who he is because, and here's how you can confess it, because you have this anointing from God. You have this anointing from God. Confess Christ. Get it right. Make sure you're speaking what the Word has said. Don't waffle on this, please. This is what we need to be doing in a season, in the season of the last hour. And then there's this last, just this last word that we see, and it's and, and we're almost done. And that's this: that we need to church. We need to keep remaining, keep remaining. You, you can't miss that, can you? Verses 24 through 26, verse 27. This translation says abide. The NIV says remain. I, I want you to just think of those words. Keep remaining in this faith, in this Christ, in this church. And here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. It is only here that the imperative is used. You know what that? I know you know what that means because of Pastor Chris. If it's the imperative, it means this is the one statement in the whole passage that you have before you to do. The rest of it is who you are, what the world is like, describing it for us, who you are, uh, what we're to be doing in terms of living this anointed life. Here it is. The, The command is to keep remaining, remaining in Him. Immovable. Does that mean rigid? No. Does that mean legalistic? No. What does it mean? It means when it comes to who Jesus Christ is, I shall not be moved i will remain i will reside i will make my home in him i'll make my home in him that gen z 
Generation Z. I know, know about this because I've got teenagers who, in my grandchildren who are in Generation Z. Uh, just for, for your knowledge, they're not looking for easy street faith. Some of them are actually looking for something that will challenge them. I read a book not long ago called Essential Church, and here's a statement from it. We won't keep them, these, this generation that's coming up, we won't keep them by adding complex structures, by making them jump through our hoops. We won't keep them by dumbing down the gospel. We won't keep them by asking less of them, and we won't keep them by just huddling together, saying, well, this is just who we are. And so his outline is very simple. We need to simplify, we need to deepen, we need to expect, and we need to multiply. Can you remember that? We need to simplify We need what we're doing. We need to deepen our conviction. We need to expect more of us, not less. And we need to multiply. We need to keep thinking, how does this, how does this grow? All of this comes out of the life who is abiding in Christ. All of this is about what it means to remain in him. Now listen, some of your kids, some I don't know what will happen to all 11 of our grandchildren. Some of them may depart from the faith, maybe for a season. One of my friends helped me years ago when I was a worrying pastor. You know, well, the young people, are, some of them are leaving the church. And he said, don't worry, Joe, only the Egyptians go back to Egypt. The rest just kind of lust for it. They want to go back, but they don't go. So some of them will drift for a while and they'll come back. But the important part is this, that where will we be in the whole thing? And that's why you and I, I believe this with all of my heart, it's a part of my core conviction that I need to be always discerning. I need to be a student all the time. I go to a theological meeting every year just so I can stay sharp on something. And this next one that I'll go to in February will deal with the question of sexual abuse on one hand and then two of our pieces of number six and seven of our doctrinal statement in the free church, which would get the bulk of the time. Things I need to be discerning about and thinking about. That's why I do that. I want to be discerning. I want to be confessing. I don't care where it is, in the grocery store or wherever. I want something of Christ to be coming out of my mouth, not just my life. And I want it to be accurate with the Word of God. I need to be remaining. I need to be remaining if that's to happen. For too long, we have called believers, we've said to believers, invite Jesus into your life. You know what? We don't quite get it right. Jesus doesn't want to be in your life. You're a wreck. I'm a wreck. Jesus wants you to be in his life. That's what he wants. Jesus wants you and me to be in him, in his life. That's the call of God. So let me I conclude with a couple of pictures in a story. Put up that, yeah. This was just a couple of months ago. Our family was together, well, a month ago. Yeah, weeks ago. Uh, we tubed down the river, whatever that river is up there in Townsend, right? It is what a lot of people think the Christian life is like. Or they want it to be. Isn't that nice? You know, just kind of floating down, getting ready for Jesus. That's all there is to it. But I have another picture in my mind. Put this one up there, would you? That's the Christian life right there. And there's a story that goes with that. I was uh, much younger in the day, and that's not a picture of me. I wasn't that ever. I was never that young, I don't think. Uh, but I had two boys in a Grumman canoe, 17-foot Grumman canoe, going down the Chase Rapids in the Allagash Waterway in northern Maine. Uh, David uh, 
and Kenny really didn't know anything about canoeing. So I had spent about a half a day trying to teach them how to canoe on the lake just above the rapids. Well, you can't really learn about rapids by canoeing in a lake. That's all I have to say, and you probably all know that. But I told them what you need to do. I said, now listen, we get into the rapids. You've got to keep the bow of the canoe heading straight down. If the, if the river turns, you, that, that's where you're going. You're not, it's not like it's like this, but it's straight with whatever the flow of the river is. You've got to go with that. And then you've got to keep paddling. I kept it pretty simple. You've got to keep paddling. And then I said, if I ever say get out of the canoe, get out of the canoe. Simple, right? So that was kind of my lesson. And we, we got into the Chase Rapids on the Allagash Wilderness Waterway, and uh, we, we, we hit them pretty hard. I said, keep paddling, guys, and they, they did. Downstream, guys, and they were for about uh, 100 feet. About 100 feet, I think it was. And then guess what we got doing? We got going sideways. We got going sideways. Now, when you go sideways, the 17-foot canoe and those kinds of rivers, uh, you're going to kind of find something that's not going to move called a huge rock. And sure enough, we did. And we got so that, well, I had to say to them as I got out of the canoe first, and it was cold, I said, get out of the canoe. And I told them already, you know, you get out on the upside as you get on the bottom, wrong side of that thing, you can get really sucked underneath this this canoe. And uh, they didn't get out. They just hung onto the rails. This is what they did. Now they were. It wasn't because they were cold. They just they could not let go. Now good coaching doesn't just scream at people because if you scream at people, they just freeze even more. But I screamed at them. <laughs> get out of the canoe! And eventually they did. And what would be today a $1,200 canoe was had a nice crease in the side of it because it was aluminum, not like this picture. And uh, and we, we got to help pay for that canoe together. Uh, well, <laughs> I did and their fathers did who were with us also. Uh, it's it's But that's one of those uh, pictures in my mind that I've had obviously for the last 40 years of my life almost. It's uh, you got to keep paddling. You got to keep paddling downstream. You got to go. You got to go where God leads you. You've got to. You've got to keep the bow going in the right direction in your life. Are you committed to doing that? That seems to me the best way for me to picture, at least, what John wrote to the church that was to be discerning, continuously discerning, not just once write it down, discerning and confessing. And remaining. Lord, help us to live this life the way you intended us to, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of his glory. And may all of us, even those who are perhaps new in the faith here in this room today, young in, in Christ, just say, thank you, Lord, that you have anointed me with the truth of your word. Now I'm going to live in it by your strength. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.